Breaking news now. Here's Sean Hannity. All right, we have some breaking news. No surprise on this at all. They didn't even put up a defense. Uh, Steve Bannon, a verdict uh, literally in like an hour, um, who was charged with contempt of Congress because he wouldn't testify before the January 6th committee uh, and respond to their subpoena. And he uh, they never put on a defense. It's the first time there has been a conviction on this contempt of Congress charge since 1974. In that case, it was G. Gordon Liddy. Well, by, I got to know G. Gordon Liddy personally. I mean, he's such a fascinating guy. Um, anyway, it's it's going to I'm sure they will make an appeal. Uh, I'm sure that they felt that there was no way there was no defense that they were going to put up. I think the ultimate goal is probably to challenge the the larger issue of whether a former president, in fact, executive privilege would still hold for somebody that used to work for the president. Um, I think on a legal track, it's a little difficult. Here's what's interesting to me, though. Um, and Steve Bannon and I have, have had a relationship on and off for years. And, and I've always admired Steve Bannon. Um, sometimes he goes a little off the rails for me, but, you know, I'm sure I go off the rails for him sometimes. But... Um, I really kind of admire his stance here, and this is why. He had every opportunity, and many people did this with the January 6th committee. If you get a subpoena, you can go in and you can plead the fifth the entire time, even if you're not guilty of anything. You can you could just show up, plead the fifth 170 times because you don't want to testify, and you can walk out free as a bird, and they can't charge you with contempt of Congress. He knew that option was available to him. That, that would be the road of least resistance. He didn't have to give them any information that he didn't want to if he believed in principle. Leading up to the, the trial, Bannon vowed to fight against the misdemeanor from hell or go medieval on these people, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, they ultimately opted not to put on any defense at all whatsoever uh, the charges, guilty on two charges, entail between 30 days and a year in prison. That means he'll get the year in prison. Probably consecutively, if I had to guess. That would mean nine months in prison. So he did his, all of this willingly. And so I, there's always a sense, certain sense of admiration I have for people that take a stand in principle. And that's what Bannon did here. And it takes a lot of courage to be willing to give up your freedom on a principle that you believe in. And anyway, it comes just days after the the district judge in this case, Carl, convened a jury selection. Uh, it was there's not much really to talk about here. Throughout the trial, defense lawyers for Bannon had been frustrated by the judge overseeing the case. The judge scuttled attempts to de- deploy an ad- advice of counsel defense strategy in which Bannon would argue he was shielded from liability for defying the subpoena because he was following the advice of his lawyers. That was shot down. His attempts to postpone the trial due to concerns of the January 6th committee's televised hearings uh, could poison the jury pool. Uh, Judge also blocked Bannon's team for calling on certain prominent witnesses like Nancy Pelosi. So he kind of was shut down on every avenue they wanted to put up a defense. So they decided in the end, David Schoen, who's been on this program many times, was his attorney. And I'm sure the strategy is going to be to make an appeal of some kind. But they but they did this going in knowing, in fact, that this was going to happen. I think another more perhaps even more interesting case is going to be with Peter Navarro, um, who was held in contempt. Now, the Department of Justice 
you know, they they made a decision, for example, not to go against Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows had handed over some 9,000 documents, uh, or or Dan Scavino was on the staff of the president. Uh, but Peter, Peter Navarro, and the judge in the case was pretty interesting. It was an Obama-appointed judge, said... Um, did you really have to humiliate him and arrest him in public? He didn't, he didn't exactly say it this way. Um, you just, you just, on something like a misdemeanor, because we're really talking about a misdemeanor here. This is not a felony. On a misdemeanor, you couldn't just ask the guy to report because it shows an aggressiveness that is so over the top. Just like, you know, Paul Manafort, a process crime. Roger Stone, process crimes. And then you get pre-dawn raids, guns drawn, fake news CNN cameras in the case of Roger Stone. Um, I talked to Manafort. He was on this very program talking about it. His time that he spent in prison, they put him in solitary confinement for nine months and regularly offered him an opportunity to get out if he would say what they wanted him to say. In other words... Tell us what we want to hear, and we'll let you out today. Now, that is a a pretty strong incentive for people to say whatever they want to hear. You know, it brings, I I use the extreme example of Sammy the Bull Gravano, guy that had killed, what, 19, 20 people, some astronomical number, and he ended up in the witness protection program because he was willing to testify against mob boss John Gotti, Sr., and so here's a guy that killed all these people. Now you get, you know, a house in Arizona and the witness protection program and a new identity and a new life. And you don't have to pay the price for 19 murders. Uh, if a guy's a murderer, he's probably not honest and truthful. He's probably a liar and probably willing to say whatever they they needed him to say to get the guy that they really wanted to get. In that case was John Gotti, who died in jail. So I don't like the whole system where they offer a benefit. Anyway, Manafort's writing it in his book. That book's going to get very interesting. And I remember asking when he was on the show, I remember asking him, you know, how did the prisoners treat you? And they said, they couldn't have been nicer to me. They all knew who I was. And they, they all knew that I was being offered a deal. You know, everybody's pretty smart and pretty savvy in prison. They know, they know the system and they know that I was there and I could get out, but I wouldn't say things that weren't true. And in that sense, there's a certain code in prison. Wow, that's, you know, you're a stand-up guy. Now, if you go to prison and you're deemed as a rat, things usually don't go well for prison prisoners that are deemed rats or, or prisoners that hurt children in particular. So understand, Bannon, what he did here was he stood on his principle knowing the consequences And he had a very easy out if he wanted it. He chose not to take it. You got to give the guy credit for standing on his principle here. Whether you agree with Bannon, don't agree with Bannon, whatever he did or didn't do, I have no idea during this, this, you know, whole January 6th thing. They played his tapes last night. I would imagine them playing tapes last night while the jury is about to decide in his case, probably would be pretty good grounds for an appeal. But David Schoen is a smart attorney. I'm sure that he's going to, you know, look down every venue. Uh, later on, Lee Zeldin is going to uh, join us. Now, I got to tell you something. This broke during Hannity last night on the TV show. 
And Lee Zeldin was up near Rochester, New York last night. He is, and it's so funny because I tweeted out a new ad that he had done. We'll play some of it later. And it's about crime. And it, it mentions uh, Jose Alba, the bodega worker who was charged with second degree murder when this guy came behind the counter and attacked him and pushed him into a wall and pushed him down on the ground and was bigger and stronger and younger. And, and he got up and in self-defense defended himself. The guy's girlfriend had a knife. Anyway, so, you know, why he got charged with second-degree murder, I don't know. I think the public outcry caused the DA uh, Bragg to pull back on it. Either way, it was the right decision. And I'm looking at photos. This guy, I don't know, some people call it a tiger claw, lady claw, whatever you want to call it, but this it's, it's a knife-like object. And it, there's a, one picture in particular we'll show you on TV tonight. I mean, they could have he, he could have gotten killed last night. Now, it turns out that in New York, now think about this. This guy, Jose Alba, the bodega worker, gets sent to Rikers Island, one of the worst prisons in the country. Gets charged with second-degree murder in a clear self-defense case. Here's a guy trying to assassinate a public figure, a congressman who's now a gubernatorial candidate. He's running for governor. And he was not charged with attempted murder of a public official or attempting to kill a public official. He was not charged with assault with a deadly weapon. He was charged with second-degree attempted assault. Yeah, that was more than an attempt. It was an assault. Anyway, then it was second-degree attempted assault, not even first-degree attempted assault. And it gets worse because now the would-be assassin, when you look at the video, the, the picture I have in front of me, this guy has this weapon in his right hand, and Lee Zeldin grabs his wrist, which actually was a good move. I wish he would have used his left hand as a martial artist and protected his body a little more. Uh, but that's neither here nor there because his heart is wide open and his carotid artery is wide open if this guy is able to thrust this thing into his neck or his heart. So this, was a, this could have murdered Lee Zeldin. And anyway, but now the guy is a free, free as a bird because he was released on his own recognizance. Can you believe that? Now we also find out that the governor of New York, Hochul, the one that replaced Andrew Cuomo, sent out an email about all of Lee Zeldin's campaign events. The email, you know, talked about the dates, the times, the events, where they were, when they're scheduled to begin. On Thursday, July 21st, Big Lie Lee, is that supposed to be funny? Anyway, his entourage of extremists kick off a statewide MAGA Republican bus tour. They run in the same same campaign McAuliffe ran down in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Didn't work out well for them, which will make stops across the state peddling dangerous lies, misinformation, and his far-right agenda. And at stops during the tours, Eldon will be joined by anti-abortion advocates, NRA enthusiasts. I mean, it's just a typical Democratic campaign. But the latest poll that I saw was like within the margin of error. I mean, to think that we could have won the New Jersey gubernatorial race if we paid more attention to it. I didn't think they had a shot. If I would have known ahead of time, we would have really dug in deep and gone hard there, and I, I regret not doing it. Um, so that means, do I think Lee Zeldin can win this race? I do. And now even today, I am told Hochul and her little minions are still doxing Lee Zeldin after what really could accurately be described as an assassination attempt. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. 
So it's um, it's it's pretty bizarre that that they wouldn't even give it a day off here. Um, Politico has a, an article out. The New York uh, GOP chairperson is accusing Kathy Hochul of fa- fanning the flames before the attempt on his life. Congressman Zeldin and all the attendees are safe, but this could have ended much worse. Uh, the chairperson is Nick Langworthy, and he said it's not a coincidence that just hours earlier, Kathy Hochul fanned the flames of hate by directing her supporters to his rally schedule. This is unacceptable conduct for anyone, let alone a sitting governor. It is a fairly common practice that you have people, you know, follow campaigns, but they usually do it more discreetly because they want to tape people in case they say something that they can use in a, in a campaign ad. But apparently even today, Kathy Hochul has these these big vans following Lee Zeldin wherever he goes, just like, you know, the doxing of Supreme Court justices. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN on this Friday. We got a lot of news, not a lot of good economic news, but the way do you hear what the Democrats are trying to spin out of? They think we're going to have, by definition, a recession, and they're scared to death. Look, we're all paying the price for a 41-year high of inflation, record high gas prices. You got to look for ways you can save money. One big way is with your cell phone service. Many of you still are clinging to your big carriers, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. I understand it. But you know what? You're going to get the same exact 5G network. You're going to get the same exact cell towers. You keep your phone. You keep your phone number. And the average family saving close to $1,000 a year. And many are saving much more. That's real money, especially in these inflationary, recessionary times that we live in. It's very simple to make the switch. In less than 10 minutes, you can do it. Take out your cell phone. Dial pound 250. Say the keyword save now. And if you do it now, you save an additional 50% off your first month. Now, you want to do it because that's a 1000 bucks on average per family a year. That's real money. Put the money in your pocket for the exact same service. Pound 250 on your cell. Say the keyword save now. Do it now. You save an additional 50% off your first month.